0: Well, have you ever got to watch any of those uh, great DIY videos, those how-to videos? I feel like during this pandemic, that's, that's a lot of things that are fun to watch of how do you do this? Like, I love these videos. You know, how to make your own mask. Those are very helpful at this time. You know, how to make this delicious chocolate cake. And it's just like, I love when they speed it up. It's just, it's just a dash of this, a dash of this, bo boom, delicious cake. How to get rid of that terrible odor. Ooh, I need to know that, right? Well today's sermon is going to act a lot like that. If you ever thought, you know, I really want to learn how to make a God for myself. Hmm. I don't want any of this self-existing, all-transcendent creator of the universe who died for his creation stuff. I mean, that's been done before. Yawn. Well, do we have a sermon for you? <laughs> T- today, we're going to teach you how to make your own God. That's right. It's it's three simple steps that you already use, right? Okay, so step one, hope in it. Step two, protect it. And step three, sacrifice to it. So very simple steps, hope in it, protect in it, sacrifice to it. And let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at Acts 19 verses 21 through 41. Uh, And so we're going to ask you to stand right where you're at in your home. I know that may feel weird, but the reason we do this is because we believe this is God breathed and that he is present with us now. So as we're reading this and as Ray Jefferson's going to read this for us, let's give all of our attention to God's word. Hey
1: Mosaic, it's Ray. Today we're reading from Acts chapter 19 verses 21 through 41. Now after these events paul resolved in the spirit to pass through macedonia and acacia and go to jerusalem saying after i've been there i must also see rome and having sent into macedonia two of his helpers timothy and erastus he himself stayed in asia for a while about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way for a man named demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines of artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen these he gathered together with the with workmen in similar trades and said When they heard this they were enraged and they were crying out great is artemis of the ephesians so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater dragging with them gaius and aristarchus macedonians who were paul's companions in travel. but when paul wished to go in among the crowd the disciples would not let him and even some of the asiarchs who were friends of his, who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? And of the sacred stone that fell from the sky seeing then that these things cannot be denied you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemous of our goddess if therefore demetrius and the craftsman and him and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone then courts are open and there are proconsuls let them bring charges against one another but if you seek anything further it shall be settled in the regular assembly for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ray. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that you would um, make this text fly off the pages, that it wouldn't just be something about happened a long time ago, but Lord, that this would be ever real and ever present and ever um, convicting and comforting in the same moment. Uh, and so, Lord, would you be with us this morning that you, we would hear from you and not from me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are just joining us this morning, we are glad you're here. Uh, we have been looking at the book of Acts. In fact, when we started this church plant, we started it in the book of Acts. And so we've still been in it for a while now. And so we've been walking along with, with this journey right now. We're in the third missionary journey uh, of Paul. And as he's going about, um, it's so interesting that the scriptures could have recorded anything they wanted to. There's so many things that happened to Paul that are not in the scriptures, but this particular passage made it. Like it, it and it, it's fascinating to me that this passage made the cut. Made the cut, right? Because this passage here is a passage without a sermon. It is a passage without a gospel presentation. It's kind of an odd passage to keep in the scriptures. It's just a description of a riot breaking out in Ephesus. And so in Acts 19, it's it's a story of the gospel being going into Ephesus, and it's challenging the most cherished false gods of the city, and the people get violent as a result, right? This is why I think this is one of the most telling of passages, because I think it's, it's an honest assessment of Paul's ministry from the outside watching world, what they think of what Paul is actually doing. I wonder what would what would Waco say about us? If they were to say, what, what is Mosaic up to? What would they actually say? But well, for Paul, he knew you can't go into ministry without confronting idols. Like you, that is a part of it. It is natural that when the gospel interacts with other false gods, it has to challenge it. And so if we're honest, I think this should mirror our own story, right? That 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 when Jesus revealed his love and his care for us, like that there's also a part of it that, he's going to stand against the sins that we were found in, that he's going to make us go away from that, to bring us from that. And so I think one of the great tragedies of our day is that many people who claim to be born-again Christians have not changed at all. That who claim that they are saved, that they've been changed have no difference to them, that, that the gospel really was just like an add-on to their salvation. It's like a vitamin supplement. Like, I'll just grab this in the morning. And I'll go on as life as usual because it's cultural. But that's not what happened here. And so I think the first ingredient to making your own God, if you want to add that ingredient, is hope in it. And so whatever you love, what, whatever you enjoy or want, hope in it, <laughs> believe in it, Ask it to give you life. Verse 23 says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Meaning, Paul made a big disturbance, right? <laughs> There's no little disturbance. You see, Paul and his crew are not playing around. And then in verse 24, A man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And so in Ephesus, money was their God. That was their God in Ephesus. Financial security, true hope is found in money. It's control, it's, it's stability, it's security, it's power, it's influence, it's fame, the materialism. Lots of things come from money, both good and bad, right? And in Ephesus, they had plenty of it. So Ephesus was the richest city in Rome. It, it, it was the region's primary port where people would come to give trade and to come through it. It had the world's largest temple in it. It was dedicated to the goddess Artemis. Her friends called her Diana. Seriously. The, this temple was was four times bigger than the Parthenon that's found in Rome. It, 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 it's huge. It's four football fields long, right? It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And in the very center, the statue of Artemis, the very centerpiece of the temple is the statue of Artemis that was carved out of a meteorite that fell into the city. And they, they said, this <laughs> is the god, right? And Artemis is, 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 is known as the goddess of fertility. Like she, she is said to, be, to help women in childbirth. Um, but really what she, her fertility is really centered around is how the ground would grow their crops, and so really, she was the goddess of business and money. And so she was the protector of the city, the one whom they all believed would guarantee their prosperity. And so what, what we're talking about in making your own God is really another term. It's called idol. Everyone say idol. idol. Okay. an idol is something that is more important to, God, to you than God is, right? It's more important to you um, that anything that, that captures your heart, anything that captures your imaginations that, that it, you're captured by. It's usually taking a good thing, and it's making a God thing out of it. So it's taking something that is naturally normal and good, and you're making it the most important thing in the world, right? And so it, it, it's saying, I must have this to live. Like, well, these are ancient people. We don't worship statues like that. We don't worship space rocks and things like this. Um, they're primitive. The gods they worship seem far and distant, but the gods they worship were means to an end, why did they worship them, right? They worshiped them for a reason. Their gods promised power and money and sex and stability, right? These are the things that we are after as well. We worship the same things too in our culture. The only difference is that their worship was overt and ours is more covert. We we tend to hide it. We hope in money just as much as they did, like, we hope in our bank accounts and the promise of stability. I mean, that is like America 101, right? <laughs> what do we love? We love money. And you get to see this very clearly after the global economic crisis in 2008. It was sad. There was there a was string of suicides that happened right after that. Of these formerly wealthy and well-informed business people. I mean, the CFO of Freddie Mac hanged himself. The CEO of Sheldon Goods shot himself. A French money manager who invested billions of his clients' money slid his own wrists. A Bear Stearns executive learned that he would not be hired by J.P. Morgan when, he just got, when the company just bought him. They let him go. He leapt from the 29th floor of the building. I mean, it's horrifying to read about, but it sounds exactly what, what, was, what happened in 1929 when the stock market crashed. And if we're not careful, I think the same thing might be ha- about to happen in 2020. Like, when your God is crumbling, you feel like you have nothing else to stand for, nothing else to live for. Th- these are the signs that you put your hope in, in a God. If, if you lose a good thing, I mean, if you lose a good thing from your life, you're sad, and, and you're, you know, it's understandable. But if you lose an ultimate thing, a, a God thing, you're just devastated. Like, that, that is a good sign to know. How can I know if I'm putting my trust into an idol if you can say, I can't imagine living life without it? Like, you know you've made it into an idol. If you say, I've lost that, I've lost everything. And so the difference between sorrow and despair is sorrow is pain for which there's no consolation. I said that wrong. <laughs> sorrow is pain for which there are consolation. Like, that's, that's natural. But, but despair is there. there is no consolation. There's no consoling you because your God was just killed. And like the Ephesians, when you put your hope in money and your hope is gone, you're devastated. And today, I think our country is having to deal with, with this issue very clearly. Like, do we protect life or do we protect our pocketbooks? I, I think many are choosing Artemis right now. Many are still bowing down to the goddess of art of money. And I'm not saying we, we shouldn't be thinking creatively of how to how to function still as a society and for our businesses to flourish in, the, in, in spite of this. But I think when some are outright saying, so what if people die? I mean, have y'all seen this? There's some protesters in the Capitol in Tennessee that say they have these, these signs that say, sacrifice the weak. I just say, well, congratulations. Um, You have just completed steps one through three of our program on how to create a God. Certificate is on the way. Um, (laughs) We will have a a, a service at the end (laughs) because you have just worshipped something else besides God. You've worshipped money. This is what we get when we worship something else besides God. Let me be clear, money's not bad, right? (laughs) And we just said earlier in the service, it's the love of money. There are many beautiful things that people have done with money that have been beautiful things that are just, it it is a tool to do something beautiful or a tool to do something terrible. I think it's when we put our hope in it is when it becomes our God. But I think of another way to tell if you've created your own DIY idol or God is to protect it. And so if you're lucky enough to complete step one of our uh, uh, course in how to create a God, this next part will actually come very easy to you. You now have to protect or defend your God. And so if anyone ever threatens your idol or your God, you just need to make sure that even though you are perfectly civil and courteous, you need to become a monster at this point, right? You need to make sure your God stays alive at all costs. So Cynthia Heimel once wrote, the minute a person becomes a celebrity is the same minute he or she becomes a monster because they finally got that fame that they've been dying to get and they will do anything to keep it. Demetrius in our passage here in verse 27 goes on to say, and there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may be deposed of her magnificence she whom all Asia in the world worship. And I think Demetrius, like many in, in, in history, um, are trying to Trojan horse their, their, their real issue of, of money in, in the form of religion. Saying, oh no, out of love of Artemis, we need to protect her <coughs> and our money. <coughs> <Right? laughs> it's really clear what he actually cares about. Demetrius says, we need to protect Artemis, which is ironic because she was supposed to be the protector of the city. And now she needs to be protected. And then they rush on Paul's companions because Paul wasn't there. And the city just rioted out. Like they went into a frenzy. They went crazy. Have you ever seen a riot? You're like, why are you doing these things? And they're like, I don't know. Let's break stuff. <laughs> Let's burn a car. Like That's what we do. We're, we're rioting. Verse 28, and when they heard this, they were enraged, and they were crying out, "Greatest Artemis of Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus. And then jump to verse 32, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Oh, I love that. <laughs> like the humor Luke has right there. Most of them didn't even know why they came together. You know, I heard there was a riot. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but I, I, I love that. Let's do it. <laughs> and so they, they, they take Paul's companions into this theater that, that fits about 24,000 people. And if you can imagine that, that, that's like twice the size of the feral Center right packed house all in there protecting their god all angry all yelling and there were there was this jewish man uh alexander who who tries to make a case but they didn't even want to hear it they just they just ye- they drowned him out with screams and yells i mean 24,000 people all yelling like at a basketball game like great is artemis great is artemis like they did it for 2 hours Whew. That feels like a a frantic scene that it's getting my my blood pumping, right? It's crazy. Why? Because their idol was being threatened and they needed to protect it. And they had, if you've ever seen this happen, this is how an idol happens. If you've ever seen a perfectly nice person become a monster, the person you thought, they would never do that. They all of a sudden became a monster is because their idol was threatened, that they felt they had to lash out and protect it. And so if the idol of fame is worshiped, people will lash out. They will, they will give hush money. They will do crazy things. They will murder to keep that fame. Like if, if, if you want to be Waco famous, ooh, some of us want to be Waco famous, what will you do to, to protect your image? What will you do to, to, like, what would you be willing to bend on? Or what would you be scared to speak up against? in fear that people might speak out against you, right? I mean, if it's not money, if it's not fame for you, I mean, what is it? Like, what is it for you? There's a theologian who said that the human heart is a factory of idols, that there is no end to the amount of idols that our hearts will produce. They just keep churning out. They're they're everywhere. If our kids are our DIY God, then we will push them until they hate and resent us. If, if love and affection is our idol, we will be thirsty people <laughs> and too needy for anyone to want, right? <laughs> like, what is it for us? <laughs> what? Sorry. <laughs> what are we protecting and defending? I, I want you to write this down. Like, seriously, like, know yourself. Like, what is it for me? I have an idol. What is it? Like, you probably have at least one. Let's start with one. What is it for you? And I think it's good to know yourself, know your, know your enemy. Write that out. You probably are not surprised by what it actually is. But the last way you can tell if you've completed the how to make a God course is not that just you hoped in it and protected it. A, a true mini God always, always, always makes you sacrifice to it. It is always going to make you sacrifice to it, just like sacrifice the weak, right? Right? The whole system in Ephesus is built on appeasing Artemis, who making sure she was not displeased. Idols are like that. They're, they're, they're trying to make sure, what will you do for me? I will, I will make you worship me. And if you really want me, then you've got to sacrifice for me. So in this passage here, this comes out in a really peculiar way, actually. Instead of getting the justice that these rioters thought they were going to get, that these men are claiming another god. And so they're, they're trying to get justice from that. But, but it's actually because of their love for money that they have to sacrifice their desire for blood. look at what happens here. The town clerk, who is like the city manager, comes out and he's he kind of. Reminds me of like Jar Jar Banks. He's like, settle down, settle down. <laughs> that's the voice I gave him. <laughs> right? Now, if we continue on like this, people, you're going to kill these men. Verse 40, for we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can justify this commotion. I can't keep that voice going forever. <laughs> Woo! I did hear him in the, when I first read it, so that's why it stuck. <laughs> the clerk here is saying, if you go off like this and kill without a reason... Without proof, without going through all the proper channels, then Rome is going to step in, and if they do, they will levy some serious sanctions on us, and then that is going to affect your pocketbook. I mean, isn't it ironic (laughs) to sacrifice to the god of money, whom these guys are threatening? They had to sacrifice their need to punish them. (laughs) I mean, just God has a sense of humor. Like, but this is the way idols work. Idols always require sacrifice. Like, many require child sacrifices. How much do you love this God? Are you willing to give your firstborn to it? How much do you love this God? Will you make your daughter a temple prostitute? And we might say, that sounds horrific. How, how could they? But, but we do the same thing with our gods. Like, many of us sacrifice our children to the God of success. Like, you're not there for your kids because you have to be successful. Because you can't imagine a world where you have gone on without being successful. And if your kids get in the way of that, you'll just pursue your idols and let your kids slip by the wayside. They have to pay the price. There's a great New York Times writer, David Brooks, who's just fantastic. He writes about this calling it the rank link imbalance. He says: people with this ambition and drive have these social skills for, for the vertical meaning they, they understand how to, to have these relationships of improving their, their 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 rank with their mentors and with their bosses, but they don't know how to interact with normal people. They don't know how to act, interact with, with each other, with people horizontal, with their spouses, with their friends, with their family. You guys know people like this. You're, you, you, you see them. They always seem like they're angling for something upwards, and they don't know how to have anything horizontal. I mean, I think Countless presidential candidates are like this. Like, they're running, they say they're running on behalf of their family, but even though their entire lives are spent on the campaign trail, you think, how is that possible, (laughs) right? Away from their family. And so as years go by, the the realization of their grandeur is just not enough sets in, and then they are lonely, but they've already alienated their spouses and their family. And that's not just presidents. You can think of every person who ever wants to make an impact in their job. They sacrifice everything to the God of success. And in the end, it wasn't enough. Tim Keller wrote, In ancient times, the deities were bloodthirsty. And they're hard to appease. And today, they still are. Our idols, our mini-gods, will will make us sacrifice something for them. Like, no doubt. Like, no doubt. You may say, well, it's it's my sin. It's my idol. My passion, my mini-god is not that bad. (laughs) you will ultimately be giving up something for it. You will be sacrificing something for it, whether it's your child, whether it's your health, whether it's your integrity, whether it's your peace, whether it's, whether it's your professions of faith, whether it's your joy, whether it's your marriage, you will no doubt have to sacrifice something to it. In Ephesus, it's how much do you make? In academia, it's what do you know? In, in some circles, it's who do you know? I mean, that's idol, idol, idol. Like even in religion, I, I've seen scores of people like this that, that have sacrificed their hearts for their theology, <laughs> right? I think theology needs the heart. Like the, that's not divorced from one another. But, but they were so dead set on being right that, they, they, that all they cared about was the brain, the logic of their doctrine, that they were just cold and tone deaf. And you think, you've sacrificed too much just to get there. Like you've lost the head and the heart in that, in that, in that scenario. And so I think this idolatrous attachment to your DIY God can lead you to break any promise, rationalize any sin, and break any, betray any allegiance for the greater good. Like, this is what I want, and I'll do anything to get it. I mean, really, to practice idolatry is to be a slave. The Ephesians were slaves to their God of money. And I think we are too. Whenever we give our idol that kind of power, we're a slave to it. Whatever it is for you. But, been hitting hitting hard for a little bit here. The good news is tucked away in a verse there in verse 26. This one verse depicts Paul as he was preaching. It, it, again, it's not actually Paul preaching. It's, it's their synopsis of it. And it's really, it's like a slogan Paul has, right? It, in verse 26, it's saying that God's made without hands are not gods. Like it sounds like a bumper sticker, right? It's similar to the message that, it, that happens in Athens. God's made without hands are not gods. That, that seems to be what he is preaching all the time there. And so if you can create it, it's not real, is Paul's message. These things that we think will give us life aren't even alive, <laughs> They're not gods. They're just things, good things, sometimes even great things, but not God things. They can't give life, not, can't give anything that you want from them. Like they will suck you dry. <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus, it, it, he's one we can put our hope in, right? He's not made with hands. Jesus was eternally begotten of the Father, God of God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. And so if you take those three points that we just walked through here uh, of how to make an idol, how to make a God, and you apply them to Jesus, then we get something altogether glorious, yeah. right? <laughs> like then we get something beautiful that we get a God you can hope in. We get a God that, that well, doesn't actually ask you to protect it. It protects you. Yeah. We actually have a God who doesn't say sacrifice to it. it sacrifices. He sacrifices for you. And so I think all other gods, all these mini gods will fail you. They will crumble under the weight of the pressure and the hope that you're putting on them. Like this job, this praise, this child, whatever it is, it, you, you will crush it. But Jesus, <laughs> he will push you up, <laughs> right? It, it, these gods are like, like grabbing onto a twig when you're drowning. And so if you're swimming underwater, you just grab onto a twig, that twig's coming down with you. And it, it, it sucks you down even further. But <laughs> But Jesus is like a real life raft that when you grab on and do it, you actually stay. You actually get pulled up and flip the analogy all together. Throw it out of the way. You're dead on the ground. He picks you up. He puts you on the boat. He breathes life into you. That's that type of God there that actually has the hope and gives you real hope. And so it can actually, you can stand under the weight of those hopes and dreams you have for that God because he fulfills those deepest longings that you and I have. We all have them. They're not bad. To be loved is not bad. He fulfills it. To have a purpose, to be cared for, like he fulfills that. Our God's require you to protect you to protect them but Jesus actually protects you. He's your protector. He's your defender. I love that he's defending us right now. Like he is the hero who searches out all over the world for you. He came on this world and he died for you and he rose for you. Like that is your God. Other gods make you sacrifice to them but he is sacrificing for you. I mean, this is the key difference between Christianity and all other religions. Like other religions, even your DIY one, like whatever it is, is saying sacrifice to it and be saved. Work hard and get saved. Do this and be happy. But in Christianity, a changed life comes in response to salvation. That salvation comes first. When Jesus died for you, it was purely and truly a gift that you didn't do anything to earn it. But in response to that, That's when you actually want to respond to. That's when you actually say, I want to work for it. I want to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I want to do what Romans 12 says and be a living sacrifice because you actually see what he's done for you. Not that it's a duty that I have to do it, but it now is a delight. That is something I I want to respond to. Obviously, God is working in us in slow ways. And sometimes it's like watching grass grow. We're going, am I changing? (laughs) But you are wanting to put to death. You are wanting to put to death that old way of life. It doesn't mean that, you, that, that all of those things are crucified, but your heart will want those things to be dead as death itself. These implications hit you not just personally, but communally. Like if someone comes after your idol, instead of being defensive like I can be all the time, say, thank you. Thank you for pointing out my idol. It's an act of grace for you lovingly to confront me. But do this as well to your friends. Call out idols, not just to your friends, but to your culture, to, the, to, the, to the, the culture that we live in. It is grace to challenge the idols of the culture. But guess what? The culture's not going to like it. <laughs> they are going to hate it. <laughs> they won't take it in a good way. They won't say that's love because the prophets never were received well, right? The prophets had a prophetic witness and they spoke against the culture and the culture killed them. How can we have a prophetic witness in this time? I mean, we've joked about making a God today, and that was just my way of getting you to see how you already do these things, but I pray you can see how you have already created a God and have already made yourself, given yourself to it and hoped in it and protected and sacrificed to it, and I just pray you give up that hope in it. Don't just stop doing things, Don't. but instead I'd say replace that hope, replace that and anticipate the satisfaction that Jesus gives. Look to the promise of the the joy that Jesus is promising you. He's your hope. He's your protector. He's your shepherd. He's your redeemer. He's your alpha. He's your omega. He's your joy, your defender, your your shalom, your peace, your amen. Look to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray.